0: Hey, folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from the Embellish Pod. And it's an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully, I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. And I'll try to get that taken care of. You can also find the video versions of this podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the exact same handle. Um, I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details this afternoon, this evening. I, whatever, whenever you're happen to be watching or listening to this, I have, uh, Macaulay Minton joining me. Um, I guess maybe the the best thing to start with, and there, there are folks who are in the industry that know who you are, but who are you Macaulay? Like, who, who, yeah. who are you and what are you doing?
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of people know me as the bourbon Swami, but, um, Birth name is Macaulay Minton. I am the master blender, a chief alchemist, and president of Dark Arts Whiskey House these days.
0: So, um, you, you've you've been in the whiskey industry for a while, um, and, and you've done a number of other things. Uh, I guess what. What put you in a mind space? You know, did you always start off in the whiskey industry, like wanting to do your own thing, or is this like a more recent development?
1: Well, I guess we have to roll it back to my days in college. Um, I was at the Jim, what is now known as the Jim Beam Institute, studying uh, brewing, distillation, and winemaking. And honestly, when I got started in the industry, I didn't care about whiskey whatsoever. I wanted to be a master brewer. I wanted to move to Asheville, Denver, Southern California, work at a brewery, didn't care about whiskey whatsoever, Um, really didn't drink it that much either. I just had bad experiences in college with handles of KG, getting hazed in basements and things like that. So it it really wasn't in my wheelhouse too much, I mean, except for maybe rare occasions. But um, when I was in that program, um, I was super focused on brewing which i mean now that i look back on it that's the foundations for making whiskey is learning how to brew i mean mashing brewing same thing almost Uh, but with that program it gave me a wide uh, wide exposure to different elements of the industry Uh, i got to go out to a distillery when i was in college called wilderness trail distillery and i got to meet dr patrick heist they have another business uh called firm solutions so firm solutions is a yeast biotech company that sells yeast to distilleries breweries ethanol plants i mean you name it if you see something firm in it or can think of it they might they probably had some kind of hand in it at some point either mm-hmm. doing quality assurance or actually being a, a supplier for them so when i was in college i would drive down to danville on fridays and i would work in their microbiology lab And still on the on the beer campaign, I did a ale yeast research project. So what that really means was I brewed beer and we tried out some different yeast strains. Uh, We kind of just studied like the alcohol production, flocculation, uh, flavor development. And then that was a project that they ended up taking on and selling to the market as one of their English ale strains. Uh, Not too long after I graduated college, they hired me to be a distillery operator. And from there, I kind of made my way through every department at the distillery. I worked production. I worked managing bottling. I worked in the gift shop. Um, then ultimately I started the single barrel pick program and started working in quality control, um, selecting the barrel picks. And then also doing sales and marketing so that's where i spent the bulk of my career was running the barrel pick program even though i played like musical chairs of jobs like every three months they'd be like oh well we need someone to do this uh how about you try that out so just but it really just gave me a broad perspective on what it takes to run a distillery at that point i mean if i was at a large company it it would have been like management training boot camp like you know where they send you in you work at each department for a few months but um, it just really happened organically for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, I always, always am interested to hear how these things sort of happen because, um, you know, and, and you're right, you know, beer and whiskey kind of go hand in hand. I've always said that beer is just like, uh, underdeveloped and underage whiskey. It just hasn't grown up yet. Um, and I say that, and you know, it, I, I enjoy beer as well. Uh, I don't know too, too many folks, at least in the whiskey industry that don't, but, um, it, did you were at the Jim Beam Institute? Is that where you started, or did you begin your? You know, like did when you were, you know, eight year old Macaulay, you're like I'm gonna one day make beer, or how, how do you get oh, to no. beer? No,
1: I went through a massive life transformation over the years. I mean, at 17, I was working in the United States Senate as a Senate page. I was heavily involved in politics. I held some chairmanships for some political organizations. Worked on campaigns and then honestly i just want to be a lawyer since i was probably a a small child that was the only thing i was ever going to do and then honestly one day in college after having some just getting burnt out on it i mean you kind of peel back the the veil and you start working with these people and really seeing how everything goes down it's kind of disillusioning a little bit if you really get into it and think about what's going on in the country and and these people that are running for political office. So I, I was sitting at home one day um, studying for the LSAT, just stressing out about going to law school. And I'd taken the test. I just applied to the law schools and then it's going to take it again. And like I went home, I was smoking some weed and like I just decided to slam the books down and threw them off the coffee table. And I was like, man fuck this. I'm not going to law school. I mean, I don't, I don't want to teach. I don't want to study case law any more than I already have. I've been burnt out on civil liberties and constitutional law, uh, criminal courts procedures, like all that stuff. So I had been studying that for years and it just like, I was like, man, this isn't for me. So that's when I came up with the idea that I was going to teach yoga and brew beer (laughs) and Mm -hmm. never look back on that.
0: (laughs) I, so I, I appreciate that more than you can understand. Uh, there, there was, there was a younger version of myself that also wanted to be a lawyer. um, You know, thought about going to law school then was like, you know, maybe I don't want to go to law school, but I want to get involved in Kentucky state politics. You know, I, I did the KY and Kuna thing as a kid, you know, I went to the, yep. yeah, the youth assemblies and did all of the things and loved arguing or whatever. And um even, went so far as to you know be involved with some political parties that I no longer have any remote affiliation with and was like you know hey this this seems like a good idea you're come from you've come from the state of Kentucky you can draw the correlations that you want to draw but um largely it does it becomes disillusioning and i've I've had a friend who's taken it to the level he became a lawyer he ran for you know a a state representative position in the state of kentucky so there's a few folks that still have that passion i don't um and i get it i I get that completely now are you going to bring yoga back eventually like you've moved beyond brewing beer but are you going to like start doing like whiskey and yoga now
1: um actually i I taught a few yoga classes at wilderness trail back in the day and then When I was living in Danville, I would teach uh, meditation using sound bowls, Uh, but just I have have no free time anymore. I'm I'm a seven days a week work schedule man now, Um, but I I still practice. I have a Zen master that I meet with um, in Lexington, so I still practice meditation quite a bit um gotten a little fat over the years so i really need to get back into my yoga practice it's it's easy when you're working on the road eating good dinner or quick mm-hmm. needing to do this and then of course the last thing you want to do is go work out after traveling or eating or having a couple cocktails so it's just like who i'm at like the crossroads it's either you decide to go back to the gym or you decide to be fat and we're right we're working out again <laughs>
0: i i get that completely uh we a a few whiskey friends and myself have started a a a healthier you challenge that started on um january the first and it ends memorial day weekend at a at another podcast uh meetup that they're gonna have in lexington and so we all do our final weigh in like in person we're gonna be there for it and see how it goes but um work and life often interfere with those things. And so we're 23 days in and everybody, we've got a discord channel going and we're talking about it and it's not going super well for a lot of folks. But so you, you've, you've begun, let's, let's get into the meat of, of, of your, your whiskey house. Um, you've begun a whiskey house and you gave a pretty good resume, but like, why, why should the consumer trust you as a whiskey person specifically? What, what do you think makes you, you know, the, the person that, can can do the right things for for whiskey
1: well i know i've got a a cute face and but i'm not one of those people that's just a marketing person um i just kind of went through my educational background but honestly you can have an education and still not know what you're talking about i mean over my career I've, i've literally drank through thousands and thousands of single barrels and running quality control and being able to find good barrels to either blend single barrels or things that we needed to put back into stock And if anyone's ever done a barrel pick with me, they they know that I've got an excellent palate. That was one thing that was identified when I was in college was we took a, a tasting genetics test called the super taster genes. And we were in a class. There's probably 60, 70 people in there and everyone's eating this paper and they're like, all right, who can taste this? And there's probably like maybe five people that could taste the first one. And then they're like, all right, who can taste the next one? We're down to like two and then the third one they're like all right who can taste this and i was the only one so i identified that i actually had that that genetic makeup because uh, mm-hmm. you can buy those test kits off amazon or online and be able to do that at home as well too but um it's, it's just like anything else like you, you see i wear glasses i mean some people can see better some people can smell better taste better hear better um so it's just it, it honestly does come down to genetics but at the same time i mean i i've been training my palate for years Uh, people make fun of me because I buy whiskey that I don't like a lot of times. Like I'll, I'll go to a distillery or somewhere and taste a bottle. And I'm like, wow, that is terrible. Like, this is like Mm -hmm. the definition of like band-aids and iodine, not even like nuanced at all. And I'm like, this is horrible. And they're like, why would you buy that? And I'm like, well, I'm adding that to my flavor and aromatics library in my, at my Mm -hmm. home. And Even when I was studying, uh, was working, I was still furthering my education. I was always going to seminars, reading uh, the white papers, like the actual literature behind the industry and doing trainings as well, too. And uh, I remember a time that I went down to Independent Stave and was at their their lab there. And I was like, can I try some... um, some some, this contaminated whiskey this one and this one he was like why do you want to try that and I was like because I want to know I mean there's Mm -hmm. only so much that you can you can read about uh these contaminants unless you just taste it and then now it's ingrained in my mind I can taste G Osmond and two MBI contamination I can smell it a mile away I've got like an ultra ultra like sensitive palate to that and uh -hmm. just those life experiences honestly and then being able to work with uh, consumer facing is another thing as well, too. So um, it's not all about what I like, but it's like all over the country. Like I was just saying, everyone has different genetic makeups. Uh, that goes along with our flavor profiles and taste preferences as well, too. And it's sometimes it's a cultural or regional thing uh, because just just think for, on a simplistic term. Like, did you grow up eating Pop-Tarts in the morning every day? Did you grow up eating like unflavored oatmeal? Did you have a biscuit and sausage every day? You know, so things like that. And if you go a little bit more extreme, like, does did, did, did your family eat curry every single day? You know, those kind of like precursors and flavor profiles. Like, it's like some people love sour, some people don't. And it's a lot of times because what you've grown up with tasting and eating and experiencing from that, and you're kind of, you're kind of conditioned to it.
0: It, I, I really like that. And, and, and you gave a absolutely fantastic resume. And, um, <clears throat> I know I have at least a few, uh, barrels that you have helped pick, um, local retailer here, you know, Hey, we were up there and we picked with Macaulay or whatever. Um, and it, it feels like, uh, you know, if I, if I was, uh, was it all hits, no misses, you know, something along that lines. Um, you used to work at wilderness trail, you helped um, build their single barrel program, but at some point uh, you decide it's time for you to kind of build your own thing. Um, You know, you've been kind of, you know, building towards this, this situation to begin with. Um, As you start kind of ideating the next step, when you're going to start your own brand, um, You know, in the job that I work in, I work with some folks, and they say one of the hardest things is naming something. How hard was it for you to come to like this is going to be the name and the identity of the brand that I'm going to build?
1: So that's it's kind of a funny story behind that. Uh, When when we were coming up with the concept of the brand, we wanted to do something that didn't have a hundred year old marketing fable. Um, I didn't want to talk about my family's farm down in Fulton County that. Great uncle might have made moonshine or whiskey on it or like my grandmother slept with a cooperage man and that's what got whiskey in my blood or anything like that. So we we didn't want to have that, but we wanted to have some kind of story behind it. So what we did was we chose to honor the process of alchemy. So alchemy is about uh, transmutation of matter. Um, and consciousness as well, too. So our brand is enriched with the alchem- chemical theme because what we see ourselves doing is transform an ordinary whiskey into liquid gold, whether that be rebarreling, finishing or my approach to blending. So we try to take ordinary and elevate it, if that makes any sense at that point.
0: It absolutely does. Um, and. I, I like the idea, you know, there, there's two different ways to kind of build a brand identity and, and you've, you've taken the path of being able to create a story without a history, right? Um, you're just saying, you know, this is kind of the ethos of what we want to be and we want to honor this idea um, that is not necessarily – part of your um, genealogy, right? Because a lot of whiskey stories are based off of genealogy and you, you read through a, a, a series of really good ones. Honestly, somebody sh- probably should be like, oh, no, I got into it because my grandmother used to sleep with a Cooperage guy. That's <laughs> uh, that might sell some bottles. That might be an interesting story to kind of okay. toss in there or whatever. Um, but uh, w- what made alchemy the thing? Right. and I, I have what I suppose the answer is but what made alchemy the thing that you just sort of latched on to
1: well I mean I've always kind of been involved with the like mystical things I, I kind of explained my background in yoga and meditation and alchemy is also a spiritual practice as well too as well as what everyone thinks alchemy is is trying to trans trans uh, mutate things into to gold um, and that's just only one portion of it and that's actually not what the great work was about but for us, we wanted to kind of take the approach of creating the seven stages of Whiskey Alchemy. Um, You can kind of see some of those symbols behind me on this uh, banner, and it's also on the front of the bottle as well too, and it's actually tattooed on the back of my hand now. Um, Mm -hmm. So the seven stages of Whiskey Alchemy are uh, crop growth, fermentation, distillation, maturation, finishing, blending, and bottling. So that kind of flows into what our brand represents because so many other companies out there, they only highlight that first three portions of it. Because in American whiskey, all you hear about is the master distiller, the master distiller, master distiller. And that's that's great. But a lot of those people out there in the industry, even some of the great guys they are I run corn through a factory and I make ethanol, you know, and -hmm. they don't really see it as an art versus me as a master blender i view it as an art as well as a science as well too but it's actually alchemy though uh Mm -hmm. it's a combination of both and so what we do is we elevate the role of the master blender because there's the the other portions of those elements are equally important Um, i don't think that you can just take one out of the equation without thinking about what's in the final product so that's what our approach is is elevating the master blender In the industry Uh, because if you look at scotland ireland the armagnac houses in france that master blender is the one who makes the biggest paycheck there he he is the authority there and i think that we've gotten away from that in american whiskey
0: yeah. And I, I echo that sentiment completely. I think the, you know, I've, I've, I've talked a few times and I think you'll even find some distillers that will kind of push that up. I mean, uh, Maker's Mark does their whiskey drop and in, in one of the selections this year, maybe the last year, I can't remember. They did a master distiller versus master blender. One bottle was from the master distiller. One was from the master blender and lo and behold, guess which one was better the person whose job it is to continually blend these things. And um, I like the the alchemy approach and, and you used the, the, the term, you know, like science and magic. And, you know, I've always kind of not always more recently. I've kind of, you know, believed that the difference between science and magic is is virtually imperceptible. You know, it's something will look magic until you dive deeper and maybe find the science behind it. But that doesn't mean it's still not magical. Right, like the idea of taking a seed and putting it in the ground, and then it grows up into a plant that makes more of what it was. Yeah, we we understand some of the science things that happen there, but also that's 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 pretty magical, and that's where kind of that alchemy idea blends in science with art, right? And. Uh, I appreciate that. Like this is, you know, at least from a consumer, from a whiskey geek standpoint, you know, maybe some folks will just come and pull a bottle off the shelf, but then there's like this other group of us that are, you know, sort of a little esoteric and nerdy and, you know, want to dive into the weird shit that that exists out there.
1: Honestly, even if you think of, just think of having a a notebook of of ideas and dreams and you have these things in your head and then you're able to pull that out of your head and manifest it into reality like like me creating this brand that's a powerful spiritual process right there being able to pull something out of the ether and into reality and share that with consumers friends family the world and be able to share your art and your passion it it, it's amazing for me and it's a it's a dream come true to be able to have this opportunity and be able to show my unbridled creativity
0: Mm -hmm. and i you know, it's a little bit, I don't know if funny is the right word, but, um, you've talked about a love for beer, right? Which is a combination of science and artistry. And you've talked about uh, a love for, um, yoga, which is technically physiology, but science and artistry, right? And whiskey is science and artistry, right? These things are mixed together. And, you know, there are a lot of ethanol plants that generate perfectly passable whiskey, um, and, and, what it feels like to me is there are things that you can effectively mathematically do to generate art that is attractive to the human eye, right? You meet certain expectations. You've got the, whatever the shell pattern is. And if you put things in certain places, your eye accepts that, but take it t- from acceptable to exceptional is where the real art sort of happens. And that's taking the science and adding some other mystical quality to make it, um, make it the next level. And, um, I, I enjoy brands that are starting to focus on the idea of blending, rebarreling and finishing because, um, it's a differentiator. Yeah. But it's also a way to, to paint with, with a paintbrush. You create something out of something that was already there before it's repurposing things. Um, to, to that end, you know, you've built a flavor library at your house, um, to kind of understand how things go when, when you set out to, you know, kind of, I've got three bottles here that you created. When you set out to do a bourbon, do you have a flavor profile in mind or do you let something else guide you?
1: Um, it depends, honestly. So I'll kind of explain my process. So, Currently, we we run with about three different mash bills that we source from MGP. We've got some other barrels that are still aging from another distillery that we're going to be bringing in the pipeline soon. But um, identifying those and just kind of starting that down as the foundational piece, like your your media, if you will, and then morphing it from there. Uh, I did a lot of research projects at home, uh, different woods, different toast, char levels, all that. I mean... I had, one time, uh, when I was still living in Danville, the, uh, the AT&T guy came over to work on the internet and he was, he walked in my house and there's, I mean, every single surface in my house at that point had a mason jar or a carboy or a pickle jar of something full of liquor and a piece of wood sitting around. And he's like, boy, what, what do you got going on in here? And I was like, oh, I was like, I work at a, a distillery and I'm doing this. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, can I get some of this whiskey? And I was like, yeah, can you uh, give me some better bandwidth than HBO Max as well, too? And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So we <laughs> got a little frustrated on that one and got nice. it rolling. But I guess going back to the main question, though, is how do I figure out what I'm looking for? Um, I'm a huge wine drinker as well, too. So we do a lot of wine finishes at, at Dark Arts. So w- Right now, we have Pinot Noir, White Port, Red Port, Madeira. I've got some PX Sherry Cask uh, coming in in a few weeks, some Orloroso Sherry Cask, uh, Hungarian Takai barrels, and then also some Spanish Orange Wine barrels. And the way that I approach that is I know what that wine is, and I know what, what I think that the impact will be on it. So a lot of people, I might be wrong, and I hope I am. I feel that people do finishing because they have really bad whiskey or just not something that's off profile. And they're like, how do how do I fix this? So that first of all is not my approach. So every every barrel that I'm refilling, I actually make a a small batch to like uh, either amplify or accentuate the flavor profile of that finishing barrel, or even that that wood media as well too. So each one is a custom batch that will is made for that finishing process. Then we'll refill refill that barrel at that point, and then let them sit. So everyone's going to still come out a little bit different because that is the mysticism behind single barrels. Uh, it doesn't matter if all those same wine barrels came, same vintage, same vineyard, same cooperage, all that. Every single one of those is going to have a different little uh, fingerprint and flavor profile to them, but. The liquid that went in there wasn't just terrible liquid that we needed to cover up with it was artisanally blended to match and accentuate that flavor profile or and vice versa too i mean i didn't buy the whiskey to make the wine barrel taste better you know i actually mm-hmm. thought that i could develop and get better flavor reach and take it to new dimensions using those barrels or different maturation techniques
0: Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've always kind of practiced the idea, at least in cooking, right? You never cook with the wine you wouldn't drink with. Right. And so I I think in the, in the same vein, you shouldn't finish a whiskey. You wouldn't initially drink before you finished it. Um, I, I think you know finishing is gonna become bigger before it becomes you know smaller potentially um you know there are some finishes that are uh, maybe overdone. there are some finishes that are popular there are some that are underdone. Uh, I like the Pinot Noir right like not many people are doing Pinot Noir on a on a regular basis um at least not from what I've seen but when when you when you explore finishing, do you have sort of set in your mind about how long each? different varietal of wine or whatever spirit you might have to finish is going to take to get there? Or is it a, just a taste and see situation?
1: It, the suck, the latter part, it, it's just a taste and see situation. And that's the same with staving or any other kind of wood finishing that I do. There's no magic 90 day checkoff point And then we decide to pull it. Um, it's just based off a of taste and my preference on it. Some barrels need to go a little bit longer, some don't. And then there's also environmental considerations you have to think of as well too um do you think that that barrel and that liquid's getting the greatest exchange when the warehouse is 40 degrees in the middle of winter or is it get taking on more flavor when it's 80 degrees 90 degrees um, and sitting in the sun as well too because the way that i have our warehouse organized is my most of my finishing barrels are against the windows so I have them in racks and I want that sun exchange on there to help penetrate into the wood and warm up the barrel a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because when I, was, and- when I was running the, the barrel program, I, w- I would always make the plant manager and the barrel guys so mad at me because when I was in the Rick House, and I don't care what anyone says, I think it's law at this point. The barrels next to the windows and around the edges of the walls always taste better. Now, I was dealing with four to six-year-old whiskey. I'm not going to say that a 23-year-old whiskey next to the window on the top floor is going to be the best one after that long of a period, but it never failed. I always loved them, and they that's what I would always pull, so that's kind of why I set that up that way at our facility.
0: And it seems like it would make sense, right, because... Um, the the more central into the inside of the, the rickhouse you get or the storage location you get, the more thermal mass you're going to have. So the less fluctuation you're likely going to have because it's going to take a lot longer to get all the thermal mass of all the whiskey down. Um, and so each one provides an insulative protection layer to the one that's subsequent to it. So the stuff that's on the outside or next to the windows, it gets the cold or the hot first, right? And then it slowly warms everybody else up. So it, that feels like that makes sense to me, but I also don't know anything about liquid thermodynamics or any, like, I don't know if that's legitimate. It's just, you know, me trying to apply some degree of, of logic to my brain, but do, do you have a minimum time frame before you start tasting or is it like, you know, day two you're tasting already?
1: Um, I usually taste it, taste it weekly, just okay. to track where it's at and kind of talking about that aroma and flavor library i I like to track the progression of it too so i'll pull a sample out before it's finished and then pull it periodically and just see where we're going with it um basically just for my own knowledge but we might be able to map it out better we might figure out that wow at three weeks this one's it it's ready it goes past it starts developing this direction that's not what we're looking for so maybe one day I'll be able to quantify it a little bit better and even take in some of those environmental factors to play. But right now, I, I, I'm a redneck scientist and a self-made alchemist. So I, I just know what tastes good. I just know what I'm doing with my hands and can't really explain it on a uh, white paper level like some people out there can.
0: Well, I mean, it, it you've got to do it before you can write the white paper on it, you know, and, and maybe you don't have a control like a – Scientists would do, but we're talking about whiskey, so we can't have a little bit of artistry here. Um, as you're kind of building this progression of the whiskey, are you using like a common vernacular or using like a, a, like a one to five scale on each component? Like, h- how do you build something that you can look back on a year from now and be like, okay, no, I remember exactly how this whole thing works.
1: Um, it's just cataloging it at this point. And I mean, even like I said, every, the variables are there. I mean, it's just different barrels, different staves. And then that's another thing too, is like when I'm putting, when I'm doing staving, for example, not every single one of those barrels is magically full when you buy a seven-year-old cask. So that's Mm -hmm. another variable in there as well too. Um, so I have an idea of where it's going and what it's doing, um, but long term, I'd be very interested to, to dig into that a little bit longer. Um, I actually would like to start doing some research with the University of Kentucky on some flavor mapping and doing some maturation studies. So we've been in talks about doing that and getting me on board with with that program. So we, I'd really like to get some data for the industry and actually see, um, see how that works mm-hmm. out a little bit better
0: you know, I would, I would f- genuinely feel like other people should have done this in the past, right? Like you come across this idea, like I want to do this flavor mapping, like folks should have already done this, but it, it, there's no, there's nothing out there that tells me that this has happened. And, uh, it's, it's, it's great to see that be a part of it. And you, you said you have MGP, you had, you said you have some, some other distilleries as well. Um, are you are you trying to aden- identify specific places that you're going after um are are your relationships developing just as you kind of happen to meet folks that have whiskey is it you know explicitly through your broker like ha- how do you develop the different distilleries that you might end in- in- eventually represent in your own flavor profile
1: well there' it's two part I need to be able to have a consistent product if that makes sense and then there is one offs as well too that I'm interested in doing so for example, my core lineup, I, I want to keep that consistent. I want to be able to keep, have that status of that and be able people to count on that when they get to the shelf. But when we go into doing a single barrel program or even our blending program, that's where the doors come open. I mean, where you're going to start, we've got some really interesting projects that I, I'm not going to talk about right now coming down the pipeline um, because it's, I'll, I'll tease with that. In an industry that is just rooted in history and has historical precedence to it, how how do you innovate? Like, how do you do something that hasn't been done? And I think we're coming up with some first um, one project I'm not going to talk about just yet. Uh, but the second one I will. So we are coming out with a, um, a release schedule this year of some specialty releases. They're going to be small batches, um, maybe a thousand bottles each. And the first one on the schedule is actually called the Blunt Blend. So everyone, well, there's a lot of cigar batches out there, and I'm not a cigar smoker myself. I, I like smoking blunts. So we are actually going to come out with that one on in April. Uh, it should be hitting the shelves April 1st in time for the holidays of April 20th. Mm-hmm. And what I did for that one is I took uh, I took some army. Armagnac aged rye whiskey and I blended Madeira finished rye whiskey together on that one. Uh, The mid palate's got that nice grassy resinous palette that you would kind of think of in a traditional rye. And then on the back end, you get all that fruit terpene that you'd find it from the wine source as well, too. So I'm really excited to see that. Uh, I've never seen a blunt blend out in the market yet. Uh, So we might we might be revolutionaries on that one.
0: I I don't think you'll have a hard time selling through that particular product. Um, I guess then that begs the question, right? What is the best flavor blood wrap?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I I, I like the, just the original sweet ones. Not, I'm not a flavored one. I I mean, if I'm going to, Maybe back in the day when I was smoking mids and Reggie grape, white owl grape would have been the answer, but (laughs) now we have elevated ourselves up, you know?
0: (laughs) You know, I I can't tell you, I I worked at a gas station during college and I sold, you know, for the state of Kentucky, uh, you know, this may be the number one cash crop that's never been taxed. Right. And so it's, 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 it's a big miss for the state of Kentucky, but neither here nor there. Uh, I converted a lot of folks over from white owl grape, to honey right there's oh. something about that honey flavor that just like they, they they would come back and be like okay that was the right choice right and um i, I can appreciate the it, let's keep it keep it as original as possible um you know you're 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 in the state of kentucky you've started a brand um called dark arts whiskey and now you're gonna have um the blunt blend uh that's coming out do you feel like this, this is risky when you're in the buckle of the Bible Belt? Like, well, you just care some white folks.
1: The, the only thing I could hope is if there's a huge backlash and they buy every bottle off the shelves and pour it down the drain.
0: <laughs> Would that not hurt your soul just a little bit if it all gets poured down the drain and never consumed because you created art that just got burned? Or is it well, like, I buys, did something strong enough? <laughs> hey, it, I can appreciate it, art- Ed,
1: to come back sometime, but no, right. I mean we're in Kentucky. But that—that's just one of 22 markets that I'm in, and I mean, I don't know what the polling numbers on uh, consumers of cannabis in Kentucky is. I would imagine that more than half the people out there in the world have either smoked weed at one point in their lives or not even that they supported or not currently but we're also in california we're in washington we're going Mm to colorado illinois i mean there's a lot of states out there that have embraced this so um just because we're doing something in kentucky doesn't mean that it doesn't have a national or even a planetary effect
0: Mm mm-hmm you, you, you're you're not wrong and I, I appreciate the answer and you even tied in what markets you're in and uh, i I'll, I'll say that the thing that's always been that, that is curious to me about you know part of that uh conversation is there's there's a particular um, retailer in the state of illinois just across the border maybe in metropolis illinois you know it's Right across from Paducah, right? And Illinois has certain regulations that allow for things to happen. That every single car in that parking lot is either from the state of Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas. Um, states where maybe they don't have the ability to purchase what that retailer is selling on a daily basis um so it it is interesting and i think the number is probably greater than 50% of adult aged people and i say when i say adult i'm meaning like you know anybody above about 15 years old that's probably greater than 50% you know you know the 0 to 12 market's pretty small in that particular um in that particular group um the let, let's talk a little bit about um the, the space that you're in. Right. And, and you guys have some standard offerings, but you're also doing some single barrels. So you, you know, you're doing some, some blends, you're doing some, some different things like that, but you've created a very eclectic space, right? That's how you and I connected um, is you were looking for something and I had something. And so I sent you a, um, a skull, right. And, and, and you did some, some art with it and you made it a part of it. I, I assume the hope, is that you want to have people in the space that you're creating right is, is that is that the case
1: um that's the idea um we have had some setbacks on opening to the public um it's probably a blessing in disguise though because mm-hmm. if i was trying to operate a forward-facing business to the public and traveling 20 30 weeks a year not gonna work it might not have worked out as well mm-hmm. um, that is something we still would like to approach and handle Uh, but right now it's, my focus is on market development and actually just holding the ship on due course.
0: Okay. Um, and are you guys still going to do single barrel picks or is that, that going to be kind of in the future?
1: Oh no, we're our single barrel program and our private blending program is open. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that all flows through the the three tier system, as you know, so we can't, we don't have a gift shop, so we can't do direct to consumer. So we, it has to go through those. Yeah, no,
0: I guess examples. maybe let me reframe when I, when I meant you're going to have people there, like you, you've got a group that wants to do a barrel pick and they're going to come in and they're going to do their pick and then it's going to eventually go through the three tier system. Is that a, is that a thing that you guys are trying to position or are you, are you doing your picks in a different way?
1: Yeah, we we're, we're, we allow people to do barrel picks and blending projects. And then all, i also send samples out too, but I really don't like mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's there's something about at least being you know present during the the conversation, um, kind of talking maybe a little bit more about whiskey. And you mentioned you know you, you're doing this this uh, blend in April that's going to have Madeira and Armagnac, right? And I think there's there's a tremendous opportunity for whiskey drinkers in North America that are interested in. Um, high age statements to get involved in Armagnac because it's you know i think it's a complimentary spirit for us and you can get some really old stuff at a reasonable value but um as you've kind of explored it what what do you want to see come out of Armagnac and into your your bourbon uh, as you blend it in
1: i i love Armagnac. that that's i've got a nice Armagnac collection i mean because sometimes i mean honestly you're at a distillery you get tired of drinking bourbon all the time and i got introduced to Armagnac years ago uh, Jamie Ferrier from Lincoln Road in Mississippi gave me my first bar- bottle of Armagnac like five or six years ago. And then it just opened up a whole new portal and I fell down the rabbit hole on that one. Uh, but we've actually got um, I've got some other I've got some 10 year old aging in Armagnac right now. Um, but for me, the thing that is attractive about the Armagnac barrels is I like the flavor profile of it. It adds a different nuance, flavor, and mouthfeel to it. You get a little bit of that fruit profile out of it. Um, and there's still some of that that wood mass from that French oak. Uh, most of the Armagnac barrels that I have it, received in are from the 80s. So they've been holding that liquid for a, a while. And we've, mm-hmm. been, we've had them in the, the barrels for about six months now. And, man, there's that 10-year-old in the corner that is just my favorite barrel in the, in the rig house right now, and I, I love it. Um, I'm not sure if I going to sell it just yet or let it age up or or what mm-hmm. my deciding plan is on that. Uh, I'd really like to get it up to 12 before it gets released, but it's also just going in there and tasting it and saying, okay, this is done. I don't want it to go down this path. So, mm-hmm. But it's all a research project, though. I mean – there isn't um there's not an academy on finishing at all i mean Mm -hmm. i I did a finishing project at the last distillery i did i did a couple maple syrup barrels so that kind of got me into the threshold on it and i did take a moonshine university class with on maturation uh, but it was just it wasn't diving into it so it's a lot of Mm -hmm. uh trial honestly so far it's been very successful
0: Do you ever catch yourself looking at the fact that your research projects are whiskey? Like this is where the the adult version of you has worked yourself into a position where your research, I know my research projects are at work and they're nowhere near as interesting as blending and finishing whiskey. Do you ever like, just like get kind of caught up in it? Like, Holy shit. Look at this.
1: Yeah. It's hard looking from outside or the inside out, but I do, I do sit back every now and then I'm like, man, I, 16 year old me was supposed to be the next Republican congressman from the first district to Kentucky. And now I live in Lexington and own a whiskey business.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, 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 it, your, your prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing until you're what, in your mid twenties or whatever. And so whatever the 16, 17, 18, even 20 year old version of you thought largely was probably going to be dumb to begin with, uh, because you're not, able to kind of comprehend it at all yet um so i i can appreciate that but um you, we you talked a little bit earlier about pinot noir um and and i i said you know i think this is one that's kind of ignored mo- why, why do you think that there's not more pinot noir finished whiskey in the marketplace th- than there is right now
1: a lot of people just aren't interested in it i mean when i called my barrel broker that I buy my finishing barrels. She's like, I, I've never sold any of these Pinot Noir casks to a whiskey maker. She's like, she's like, why, why do you even want this? And I was like, well, I like Pinot and I like whiskey. Um, it, that adds up for me, so let's try it. <laughs>
0: Did did none of these people ever watch sideways, you know, like the, the movie from what the nineties or two thousands, like that was the first time I ever like encountered somebody that was like hyper passionate about any type of a beverage, you know? And like there's a whole movie about why Pinot should matter. And, and, you know, if we're exploring red wine, you know, red port, white port, um, Tokai, you know, VDN, all of these other things like cab exists out there. um, Chardonnay has been out there. Why? Like, how, how does Pinot Noir fall so far down that somebody's like, we should do Chardonnay before they get to? And I'm not trying to be insulting to Chardonnay lovers. That that probably came out that way.
1: I, I mean, personally, I like Pinot Noir for the, the fruitiness of it, those mm-hmm. rich jammy notes on it, and also some of that complimentary dryness on the back end. Um, there's a there's a one barrel there that I have uh, nicknamed the Wagyu Blood. And it's because that whiskey is designed to be paired with a really rich piece of meat or like a dry aged steak, because it just kind of takes you on a roller coaster of flavors. Um, It's not for everyone and that's okay. Uh, Because I, I didn't make every single whiskey at our business to be a mass consumer brand. This is definitely a very niche industry niche side of the industry here. But at the same time, we can even take it a step further, and let's not even let's not even consider the the Pinot Noir finished bourbon just as a single barrel or standalone product, but think of it as an element in a blending project. So mm-hmm. we have actually had done a blend using Pinot Noir and Armagnac, and it, it's one of my favorite whiskeys we've I've ever had a hand in making. Um, I had a customer in Florida that made that took some of it, and then I was like, man, this is so good. I'm just gonna bottle all of this and so I ended up calling that one Gangster's Paradise. And uh, I'm, I'm not the smartest. And I'm kind of stupid sometimes and I like to be funny. So I was like, man, there's an acronym that's like A, B, and P or something like that. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, A, P, B, All Points Bulletin, Army, <laughs> <with> <laughs> Bourbon. I was like, I'm a genius. <laughs>
0: yep. No, I... And, and honestly, now I'm super jealous of this, this, this Armagnac Pinot blend. And, um, it, I guess you, you said something in there, you're, you're calling it the Wagyu blood. Um, do, do you th- regularly think about your whiskeys in that fashion of like what it would pair with? Cause it's really common in wine industry, but it's just not common in the whiskey industry at all for somebody to be like, oh, this whiskey pairs well with this kind of a food and this whiskey pairs well with this kind of an environment or whatever.
1: I, I I'm a huge food person. I mean, I, I'm not a trained chef, but I mean, you better believe my food is good cooking. I mean, I I'll have people over for a cookout and they come up and they're like, is the food ready? And I'm like, no, this isn't a short order kitchen. I start when you get here, the chicken wings will be ready in four hours. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yes. <laughs>
0: it, and I think that's, that's a very common. Situation in, other countries right? like meals are supposed to be longer and more enjoyable and you get the opportunity to have these conversations and kind of get to know each other and we've turned food into a very transactional element and that's, i think that's why I gravitate towards things like whiskey and, and wine things that are slower right? they take you a little longer and they're more communal in nature um you know go, going back to i guess a little bit of the the different types of of barrels that you might use you know we, we talked a little bit about pinot um, you've mentioned red and white port, um, but you also are doing, and, and I am a absolute sucker for French oak. Period, right? And you guys are are working with um, this this Jupil, um oak, right, from a very specific forest in Europe. Like, did did you know about this beforehand, and you sought it out, or somebody showed up and said, "Hey, we have these things," and you're like, "I want to, I, I want to explore that." Like, which way does it go?
1: It goes back to the story of the carboys and the mason jars in my kitchen i had wood samples from all kinds of different toast char levels different um forests and then when i was going through that experiment and there's a lot of duds out there Mm. and then i finally got to this one and i was just like wow this is everything that i want in a french oak i mean for me it brings out a nice toasted savory note I get dried red fruit and I get a little bit of toffee and a little bit of like sweet honey, maybe vanilla on the back end of it. Um, But I found that one and I just fell in love with it. And then I called the Cooperage up and was asking about it. And they're like, man, you've got really good taste. And I was like, oh, yeah. And they're like, you know, that's the smallest producer of French oak in the world. And uh, it's also the most expensive French oak money can buy. And I was like, oh, of course it would be.
0: As soon as you said it's the smallest producer my brain immediately went, and that means it's going to be super expensive, but it definitely comes through, right? And and you know, there there are some finishes that can kind of go over the top and sometimes French Oak can get too peppery and too spicy and too um I guess it maybe uh, barrel spicy, but this is this is fantastic. You know, I it's, it's, it's the kind of bottle that I'll pour a little bit out of, and then I'll put it to the back of my shelf. So I forget that it's there. Right. So I don't drink through it too fast. Right. Because once the bottle's gone, then the bottle's gone. Now I know that's probably the bad Bronx in it because I should drink through it and then buy another one. right? Like that's what I should be doing. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work my way through all of the, the bottles that I have. It'll take a little while. Um, what is, I guess you, you, have a bunch of different wood types that you're using. I guess, what is your wood strategy? Like, you know, it, how do you well, identify actually, the next finish?
1: I actually use three different varietals of French oak. So the Jolipe's mm-hmm. is the one that I use for my core lineup. Um, it's it's actually like a very heavy toast. It almost looks charred when you're when you're looking at it. Um, and then we've got two other uh, different toast profiles that we work with. Um, one is I've dubbed it the like cream brulee toasted marshmallow bomb. Um, when you look at those staves that you can barely tell that they they've been toasted at all it just brings out that rich creamy vanilla with, like sweet sugary notes in it um, i've got one that's a little bit more toasted and i call that one like the brown sugar molasses bomb um, mm-hmm. so those are both ones that we use in our single barrel program and we're actually going to come out with another uh to release around derby using the uh the marshmallow um, french oak
0: Oh, that's a and that's a, that's a good question. Do you guys have anything special? You've got a bottle that you're wanting to release around Derby, um, and I've seen you guys at event after event after event. Are are you planning anything special beyond the bottling release for Derby?
1: Um, we we're gonna have some events surrounded the uh, the release of that bottle. We're actually t- teamed up with a charity group that supports the, uh, the black jockeys association. So they're uh, we're putting, we're taking the alchemist off the front of the bottle there. And we are putting a, one of the most famous like jockeys of all times, Isaac Murphy on the front of the bottle. So um, if you don't know who Isaac Murphy is, he is one of the, he, he was basically the tiger woods of his day. Like just a true, um, a true leader in the, the horse racing industry and a man of his time, because I mean, this is, long time ago wasn't the most conducive area for African-American and the horse racing, or, I mean, still isn't sometimes in that industry, but, um, he, he was a pioneer. I mean, he won the Derby three times. Um, and he was Mm -hmm. just a a national hero at that point. So we're actually going to honor him on the front of that bottle and we're going to have some launch events around that. And that that will be distributed in Kentucky and on our uh, online retail store as well too.
0: Okay. And so you have an online retail store. What, yeah. what's you is there you see there's 22 states for the online retailer you're just in 22 states
1: we're in 22 states you can um, purchase the core lineup and ship it to any continental US state from Dark Arts Whiskey House and click on the bottle shop
0: okay um i guess the the what does you know every, everybody kind of sets out on a path with, with their brand. Right. And, uh, I think you said you're right now, you're just trying to develop it, but like, what is, what does one year, three year, five year, what does success look like for dark arts whiskey house?
1: Well, I'd like to continue to grow our finishing program. I'd like to build out more and just have tons of different colas and SKUs for that. And just opening up the the library of flavors and barrels, getting some older stock and also sourcing some other barrels from other distilleries too. I, I'd love for people to be able to come in and be like, all right, this is column still production. This is pot still. we got Indiana. We got Kentucky. We got Tennessee. I've got um, European whiskey. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, there's, there's unlimited potential with this brand, honestly, because we, we don't have like a specific conformity that we work with. We work with innovation and just finding and identifying new, new, new finishing techniques, Um, I mean, there's something else out there in the world that we will be able to show and explore. Um, This year, we're going to be working with a bunch of Japanese wood, so mezzanara and sakura wood. Um, I'm working with some African wood, exotic woods as well, too. So just continuing that innovation train and just not getting stuck in a rut on, oh, this is what we know best. Let's keep with this. Um, I want to just be able to elevate and pivot throughout the years and just ultimately grow that. Um, that way and also i want to grow our blending program as well too that custom blending program so we actually had an article written on us recently and it's getting picked up by whiskey advocate talking about the the private blending program because that allows people to come in choose different elements and really come up with a combination of things that they love so i was talking about the Armagnac pinot noir earlier um we've got another um armagnac and french oak coming out and then i've got another client that did a madeira and french oak Um, we've got red and white port rye whiskey coming out Um, we've got some really interesting like double barrel projects where we'll mingle two different um, single barrels together so just really developing that and just seeing what organically evolves out of it
0: so when when you do these sort of custom blending projects do do you kind of give them free reign or do you have to put some guardrails on? Cause I can, I can imagine for me, right? Like I, I'm a little bit chaotic when it comes to stuff like that. I'm like, just put things together and see what happens next. Right. And and that's probably not the right approach whenever you're trying to come to a, to a positive ending. Do you, do you give a lot of advisement or is it a, um, you know, just see what happens?
1: Well, it would be very overwhelming just to be like, all right, here's the drill, go figure it out. So I do try to give guidance. I try to, I, I try to listen to what they're, what kind of flavors they like and just see what we can do and layer it out. I mean, if someone comes in and they're like, we absolutely don't want wine finished, then we're, we're not even going to start with any of that. So mm-hmm. that puts it into a certain realm. If we're not interested in rye whiskey, that just knocks out a whole other realm as well, too. Um, it's just really see, going down and finding out what that individual customer is interested in and being able to sit down and have an organic conversation do some trial and error and then that's usually the best approach to it
0: do do you ever find yourself one
1: people in the room there's like two or three decision makers only there's no you know sometimes you can get too many chefs in the kitchen and that out
0: <laughs> yeah uh, uh, making a decision by committee rarely goes well um do, do you ever find yourself wanting to or needing to challenge someone's perception that i don't want a wine finish or i don't like rye you know because i know f- at least growing up in kentucky i thought i didn't like rye for like the first 25 years of my life and then finally i tried something. was like oh no actually this is pretty good and then you kind of explore things
1: it's funny we've had i've had so many people tell me that they don't like finish whiskey and then i start pulling out Samples of things, and they're like, "Wow, I—I I think I was wrong. I think I've just had very bad finished whiskey, or in my life, and I, this is this is incredible." And one of those that's done that time and time again is our white port finished bourbon. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not overpowering. It's not masking the whiskey. It's not like we're drinking grape juice. It just the flavors just blend very well with it. And then on the rye whiskey front. It's funny because we go to these tasting events and people come up and they're like, Oh, I hate rye. And I'm like, well, why don't you try this on I was like, do you like cinnamon toast crunch? And they're like, Oh yeah, that sounds amazing. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. there there's the 1% that all knows what on is, you know, these whiskey insiders, like, and it's either, I hate it. I yeah. love it. But 99% of the people out in the field do not know what Ambarana is. So be, I've showed that to so many people. And Our Ambarana isn't very overly overly done like some other brands out there. Mm -hmm. I find it to be more approachable. And if like cinnamon and vanilla and apple is kind of in your wheelhouse, then you'll enjoy it. But if you hate cinnamon, then let's not drink it. Um, We've converted a lot of people into saying, oh man, I I, I hate rye, but man, this is really good. I can drink this because for me, I, I see rye out there in the market. And I think that people, unless you're a serious whiskey drinker, A lot of people think rye whiskey, they think like old man whiskey, like it's going to be hot, spicy, blow my socks off, pickle my lips, like some Mm -hmm. cowboy killer shit out there. And it doesn't have to be that.
0: So, Amberana is probably the most divisive finish in whiskey right now, maybe at least in my perception. Um, And it it feels, I always say it feels like, it feels like that. Serious whiskey drinkers feel like it's beneath them to drink it, and if you describe it as cinnamon, people automatically go to fireball and they're like, "Oh my God, I'm gonna drink a bunch of fireball and that's that's not what amberana does well, I guess maybe amberana could do that to whiskey, but that's not what it does in an appropriate application and y'all's amberana is very much um refined and that's It's not kind of overused. It's not too cinnamony. Cinnamon toast crunch is a great way to position it because it doesn't scare people off in the same way that, that cinnamon whiskey um, would. And, and we missed this earlier, right? Uh, We were talking about the label and I I was listening to another interview that you did uh, with another podcast and um, you, you went over the symbols that are on it, but there's something that circles the entire label. And it's right there. Like I can see the head of it right there. I completely miss that. The first time I looked at this, like I noticed the symbols, I noticed all of the intentionality of the design, but I completely miss this, this snake. So t- tell me about why the snake's on here.
1: So the snake is, is called the Oribos symbol. Um, it represents the cycle of life and death and rebirth and that traveling through the spiritual and um, material realms. And it just basically shows that life is an infinity.
0: Yeah. And like I said, it, it's, it's so your, your packaging is so well put together that unless you, you know, really kind of focus on the label, you miss some of the more nuanced, the design you see the, you know, if you hold it just right, the, 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 uh, the symbols on it sort of pop out because they catch the light and they glow and it's you know almost ethereal. I, I appreciate somebody who takes the time to pull this design together. And then there's a um, there's a phrase on here that appears to be Latin.
1: Yes. The transliteration for that means divide convention and unleash your spirit
0: did you learn Latin or did you have somebody who speaks Latin put this out for you? Or like, how, how do you get this? Like- my,
1: I unsuccessfully took a few Latin classes in college. And the funny thing is, is I've been on, i have been emailing old college professors, like getting no response. And then finally I was like, shit it's 2023 man just get on instagram and ask someone out there if they know latin and of course i had three people come out of the woodwork they're like oh i got a master's degree in latin like this other lady's like oh i'm a college professor in latin and this other lady's like oh i teach uh, elementary school latin so they all three gave me three different transliterations they all meant similar things and then i ended up throwing the dart and like all right we're going with this one this one's the best one that i like
0: yeah um and i i i like i said the the, the design of this it's all is a very well put together package and sometimes you're just putting you know lipstick on a pig but at the end of the day what's inside the bottle matches the exterior of it and um there's an intentional beauty um in in the french oak and the bourbon and the um Ambarana finish that i was able to to taste and uh i was super excited to share these things with folks as well as i go about my daily life and um
1: that. yeah and i don't know if you notice but on the corners and around the neck of the bottle the that gold line that is actually um i'm probably gonna butcher this one because i'm from kintsugi County. yeah you know it right there so mm-hmm. that so there's a lot of things going on in those elements of that label right there
0: my, my wife is a very artistic person and um, I've broken a fair amount of things. And so I learned about Kintsugi a long time ago, just because I break things and she was like, Oh no, we can keep that. We can do this other process. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Um, and yeah. so I had to look it up. you know.
1: And so, I mean, that art is kind of tied in with Japanese philosophy. And that is, um, it kind of in, encompasses like the, uh, the conceptions of like non attachment and, acceptance of change is what it is. And it kind of just shows that just some, just because something's broken doesn't mean that it still doesn't have value to it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and there's some, and and there's beauty in the reassembly of it. And, and, you know, oftentimes when you break something and you put it back together, it doesn't fit together perfectly, but you have a way to make it fit back together uh, in a, in a way that is meaningful, useful, and also beautiful at the same time. And so, um, yeah, I, I, that w- that was going to be the next one um, but you you cut you beat me to it because i absolutely stole some of this stuff from another interview you did uh, uh, I, I don't uh, mind
1: it. Uh, we, we got some nice marketing cards made up with the, the core lineup and tasting notes on the front and then on the back of it it says uh bottle demystified on it
0: mhm yeah um you know i i don't I do have to 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 cut it here. Um, if you've got anything else that you want to cover, let me know, and we'll talk about it right now, and then we can um, chop it up. But I've got to go pick this child up and haul her from one place to another.
1: Um, I guess if anyone wants any more information, we've, we've got a lot of information on our website, darkartswhiskey.com. Uh, uh, we have an online bottle shop. If you click the, the bottle shop tab, that'll take you to it. Uh, we're also on Instagram as well too and if anyone is ever interested in doing a barrel pick or finding our products you can always shoot us a message and we can try to help you out as much as possible to get that out there and we, uh, we look forward to getting out in the market and letting more people try it and I guess the last thing is uh, make sure you uh, dabble in the dark arts responsibly.
0: <laughs> I, absolutely absolutely i appreciate the time that you've given me this afternoon uh, i have a feeling this is not going to be the last time that we're going to have a conversation um, given the the quality of product and the quality of work that you're doing you're going to be around for a while um i just hope that you know a year from now whenever you're you know 14 times the size that you are right now um from a business perspective you, you'd be like yeah i'll still talk to that guy over there in the corner
1: always got to keep, keep take care of our western kentucky brother <laughs>
0: we we are few we are very few but we are mighty maybe if you enjoyed this please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on and leave a comment if possible send me an email embellishpod at gmail.com if you can um you can hit me up on social media tiktok or instagram at embellishpod um you can follow and kind of see what's going on as, as episodes are starting to release and starting to explore using AI to help me release things and uh, be a little more informative in show notes and things of that nature. Um, You can always go to my website at www.embellishpod.com. And that should take you to the podcast um, website. There should be some links for, you know, other social media accounts and whatnot and contact details and all of that stuff. So um, if you're still here, Once again, thanks for stopping by and and we'll see you on the next episode.